The Sportszilla Show starts now. Team Ghosts. Who are you guys? We're the Ghostbusters. 15th interception on the season. McCourty's fifth. Pressure off the edge. Ball is out, and the Patriots have it. Picked off again. Deron Harmon. They let him get it off. Pressure off the edge. Floater, and another interception, and it's Gilmore. Floated again and picked off again. This time it's Terrace Brooks. I'm the boogeyman, and I'm coming to get you. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. One of the most interesting things that I read about the Corbins, who's, well, a family that you may or may not be aware of. They grew up in Clay, just on the uh, north side of North Syracuse, just a little north of the city itself. Well, about 1,600 miles away from Minute Maid Park in Houston. But I did notice that the family went to all three games in Washington, D.C. They watched the four in Houston, the four that they actually won on TV at home, and they were just losing their minds. Great story about Patricia and Dan Sr., the Corbins, whose son Patrick is now a World Series champion, having turned down his childhood favorite team, the Yankees, to make the right decision ultimately and be a World Series champion and go to the Washington Nationals. But the parade is on Saturday, and they were pretty hyped about it, Scoop. Yeah, and they had friends and and family all gathered there at the family home in Clay to watch these games. Of course, you get to Game 7, and Pat is in there for three innings, I believe it is, three scoreless innings. I think he gave up a couple of hits. Uh, struck out three, though. Mm-hmm. But imagine it, you're on that roller coaster ride with Mom and Dad sitting there as it gets closer. I, I know I was watching the game, and I'm thinking, this kid could walk out of this with a World Series ring. Yeah. I'm like going, wow, how's that family feel? You know? And they 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 won the the World Series championship. They cry, they hug, the the joy, the tears. It's all about family, man. It really is. At the end of the day, they're going to celebrate that forever, long after his playing career is over. And it's funny because Dan Senior, Pat's dad, had said he didn't show any emotion. He just kind of seemed okay through everything. He wasn't really worried about it. There, it ended up obviously. It wasn't, as stated in the article, uh, there was, Lindsey Kramer wrote that, by the way, uh, there there was no need for it because smooth sailing, they got it done. They, they got some insurance, then they got some more insurance. Yeah. They got the they got the win at the end of the day. I, I thought, you know, we were going to get some more runs out of Houston. I thought they'd crush a ball, Altuve or somebody, you know. Uh, but it was the Nationals who poured it on. And interesting, weird sort of business fact about the World Series and the Nationals. World Series MVP Steven Strasburg, right? Now, he could opt out of his contract, but the way it's structured, if he does that, he has to do it by noon tomorrow, which is two hours before the championship parade. Can you imagine? How, how strange. That he walks into the parade. Let's say he opts out, walks into the parade. He's like, it's a little awkward, guys. Is this definitely a little awkward? Does he get booed? Because, well, then he's like Garrett Cole, and he's technically not employed by the team anymore that he's going to go celebrate a championship with. I, I think there will be some people that will surely boo him. What a, what a conundrum. What a terrible predicament to be in. It's an awkward timing for all of this. Can you imagine Kawhi Leonard having to make that announcement 
two hours before the big party in downtown Toronto. Yeah, imagine the expectation when signing that contract, writing the wording and the language of that contract. It was probably not that we're gonna the World Series championship and the parade is gonna come into play within two hours. That's crazy. That is nuts. I, I I wouldn't know what to do. Do you go to the parade or you just you go chill with your ring somewhere and your the knowledge that you are a World Series champion? Look, if he's going to opt out, it means a whole lot of money. So ultimately, he could just go to a beach, do whatever he wants to do, and it's going to be okay either way for him. Well, you know? who's at fault for putting that language in the contract? Is it the team for doing it that soon after a World Series? Is Boris's agent? I wonder. I think uh, probably. Let's see. Yes, uh, it, Scott Boris. Of course, it's Scott Boris. The it king was, comes into play with Garrett Cole, which I'll touch on in just a second. Was but. negotiated more than three years ago. But you know, you don't really think. Oh no. gosh, this might conflict with a potential championship parade. You know, or is there an understanding that he he makes the decision whichever way it is, and it is not announced as a courtesy and respect thing until after the parade? That would be the best way to do it. Obviously. But you know, it'll get leaked out. You just know it will. It probably will, but you hope it doesn't. But in the day and age of social media, the way that it is, and. Well, the reactions that we all take, which I know we can get to with something in a few minutes based on a Twitter conversation that Scoop and I had this morning. It's inevitable, though. It's the point. It's going to get leaked. You're right. Glue guy, you're right. You're totally right. Somebody's going to tweet something here, something. Adam Schefter will tweet it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A woge bomb, even though he, you know, primarily. I I mean, if it's it's Scott Boris and uh, Mike Rizzo, the general manager who negotiated that deal, uh, Okay, so maybe there there's the player, there's the agent. I mean, is this if they don't talk to their families and they all stay quiet, maybe it doesn't get out until after the parade. Garrett Cole wore a Scott Boris company hat at that post game press conference because he said, "I'm no longer a member of that team." Basically, I think he was cheesed. He didn't get into the game. I think he wanted a chance to try to bring his stuff and bring the championship. To Houston, I think he feels he was denied that. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was reading on Twitter, a reputable source. Yeah, after warming up, going to Game 7 of the World Series, Garrett Cole's never called upon to take the mound. After the Astros lost, Cole's statements and apparel revealed that he was already looking ahead to his future with a different team. Brought in Will Harris instead. How, how do you make that decision? That's going to be something that A.J. Hinch, the Astros manager, is going to sit back and rethink for at least the next few months, and then probably long after, he's going to go, I could have had a second ring. I should have gone with him. Just shut it down right there. Is that analytics? I don't know. If if it's analytics, well, then this is one of those instances where you have to look to the old school philosophy and make that decision and go with your gut because analytics – are not always 100% right, obviously. Well, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes. but A.J. Hinch and his management of that pitching staff is being called into question by some. For example, game four, you got a 4 nothing lead through five innings. Your pitcher uh, has allowed two hits on 67 pitches. And do you keep him in there? Or do you yank him from the game? Because, well, you know, we're getting a little late. Well, Hinch 
uh, pulled Jose Urquidy. And, uh, you know, the, the announcers didn't really make a whole lot of, a, uh, of that whole decision. But John Smoltz is sitting there, and I'm thinking, he's got to question this a little bit. And Smoltz just said something simply like, you know, that the uh, Nats wanted to face anybody but the guy they'd faced for the first five innings. There's, and, and there's other points. Uh, you, I mean, you, you mentioned one there. There are other points in this series now in hindsight, that people are questioning A.J. Hinch's management of that pitching staff. And is he an analytics guy or is he an old-school guy? I think most everybody now is probably a blend of that. Yeah, and I think there it didn't get made that big of a deal of because there's just an expectation in the modern game where it's rare to see a starter going, say, into the seventh inning or doing what Strasburg did what what Steven Strasburg did in game six, where he's going eight and two thirds. There was a time where that's the way it was. You're going to ride your starter or your horse, your workhorse guys in the postseason, in your postseason rotation. You're taking it. You remember Jack Morris pitched 10 innings in a World Series game yeah. with the Twins back in the day? Well, like, there's, there's you'll also, never see that again. There's also the issue of how do you manage your bullpen, which I think some people are questioning A.J. Hinch about. It's Surely. Like, okay. Maybe you should have stuck with your starting pitcher a little bit longer, and maybe you had too much belief in your bullpen. And furthermore, you you want to save those guys for later in the series, Scoop, which maybe A.J. Hinch should have done. Scoop, Rain, and the glue guy, Matt, on the Sports Hill Show here, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. You're waving at me, glue guy. What's up? Breaking news, Mets hire Carlos Beltre to be their next manager. Carlos Beltran, the next manager. Wow. You know what? It's a trend. Former players, hasn't been that long since he was a player. Actually, he was an Astro at one point in time. Was a Met, was a Yankee. Where else did he play? A couple other places. St. Louis, yeah, he's a good player. He's going to relate to them very well. He's clearly, he he was part of the generation in the last part of his career where analytics were a part of how he did his job. So he's kind of old school, new school together. Aaron Boone's another one that's just like that. Is that a bad hire? As we so we got Joe Girardi in Philadelphia. We yeah. got Carlos Beltran. Dave Kapler, I believe, was interviewing somewhere. I read also. I forget the team, but so no A Rod uh, suiting up as a manager. That was never going to happen. Why would he want to do that? He's got the life right now. He can show up and do two TV spots here and there, and then go home to J Lo the rest of the day. I mean. Like, come on, like they're working him that hard to do that TV broadcast. He's talking about baseball, which he knows, you know, the book front to back, back to front. It's easy peasy for him to show up. Why does he want to manage and then get into all this stuff and get questioned about how he's managing a pitching staff like we're doing with A.J. Hinch now? He's probably on a beach somewhere right now with J-Lo in a bikini. It's just like you've been referencing Verlander nonstop that he gets to go home and get consoled by Kate Upton. I am sure she has distracted him from the painful loss more than once since the game. He's going to be all right. He really is going to be fine. So a quick question. Who wins there? Are are you J-Lo or are you Kate? My goodness. Can it be both? And then we get rid of Verlander. I like the way you think. And Alex Rodriguez from that whole (laughs) equation. Now that was the right answer right there. Why can't it be both? I mean, I'm just saying. Hamburger or hot dog? I'll have both, thank you very much. Keep your options open. Last thing to wrap a bow on Major League, well, not entirely, 
but at least on the subject. Most wins over a three-year span in Major League Baseball history, the Astros, 2017 to 2019, even though they only got one ring out of the deal, 336 wins, 69 to 71 Orioles, 335, 98-2000, the dynasty of the Yankees, even though they did capture all three rings, 332. And, and apparently that Mattress Mac guy has been doing furniture deals uh, that are connected to the Astros' fortunes the last couple of years. Yeah. I know he lost, like, he says he lost $13 million this year because the Astros' bet didn't come through. But he's he's done this previously. Yeah, he's, this sort of deal where you know he'll I'll refund all purchases of three thousand dollars or more if the Astros win the title. He started this actually, believe it or not, with the twenty sixteen presidential election. There was about ten million dollars in refunds offered within this promotion where they would bet on who would win this, and then he turned it in two thousand seventeen into an Astros World Series promotion. Then he did it again this year. He's making some money somewhere out of this deal, somehow, some way. A lot of money in the couch and table business. Otherwise, yeah, is that what he's doing? Is he scraping out the change? I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, this dude... Maybe maybe Alex Rodriguez's couch. One hell of a nest egg to be able to take losses like that, if you really think about it. But, Scoop, you handed me, and, and I've read... Phil, he's a cranky old cantankerous old school journalist for the New York Post, which does have a pretty solid sports section. I've got to be honest, but he was he was cranking about TV and the lunacy and the week long bonanza with these World Series blunders. And you brought that to my attention. What stood out to you the most well, on that? I, I mean, I mentioned it. It, it really t- calls AJ Hinch's uh, decisions with regards to the pitching staff and into question. And furthermore, uh. They've been in the New York Post, especially. They've been picking on these TV broadcasters for some of their ridiculous stats. Like uh, somebody made a catch in the outfield; it was a fantastic catch, and they said, "Well, that was only a five percent probability of that catch being made." But he made the catch. Shut and, up. And, but it's like a bogus stat. Now they're doing that stuff because of the popularity of analytics, and because it sounds like something that would come out of analytics, and it's really just junk statistics. Junk science. They'll go. Every every guy, every outfielder is different. How do you know it's a 5% probability that he makes that catch? Derek Cole is the fourth ace in Major League Baseball history to not get into a game seven while wearing a beard. And, you know, yeah. the, the New York Yankees haven't had a guy with facial hair pitch in a game in the World Series in 47 and whatever. I it mean, was Victor, uh, Victor, uh, Robles, uh, of the Nats, a left fielder made that catch. Nonsensical stuff. All right. Now I'll wrap a bow on the World Series. Dan Senior and Patricia, the Corbins said they didn't, they didn't know if they wanted him to come into the game or not. They said, I'm glad he did, just didn't want him to fail. Patrick didn't. You touched on the fact he struck out three, gave up a couple of hits, and ultimately they said they just looked at each other, they shook their heads, we were feeling good. I didn't think they'd bring him out for three innings. He did his job, and it was awesome. I wonder if they go to the parade. Celebrate, Corbin. Celebrate. Your son is a World Series champion. The Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. We'll be right back. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Lane and Scoop. ESPN Radio, Syracuse, News Channel 9, and ESPN Syracuse. Stephen Fonte and James Monroe. Giving you a last-minute breakdown of SU versus BC from the quad tomorrow, 11 to noon. Scoop, 
golf is usually not a glamorous sport per se. Most people disinterested unless Tiger Woods is concerned. And you remember some of his past issues. And we have actually thrown out there that he just did something incredible that hasn't got as much coverage, I think, as it might have if it wasn't during the World Series and perhaps overseas. And it was a more well-known tournament. But he just tied Sam Snead for 82 professionally PGA-sanctioned victories all time in his career. That's incredible. And just think about if the fall from grace and the injuries, he would probably be 30 or 40 wins beyond that. Seriously, it's amazing if you think about it. But golf.com, unrelated to Tiger, something else a little bit spicy, they just released the results from an anonymous pro survey, which featured responses from 52, yes, anonymous PGA Tour players, don't, if you're looking through your stack of prep, you don't have that. No, I, no I'm, I'm just uh, organizing over this here. This is just a quick little aside. But they asked, have you ever had relations on the golf course? Legit, I, right on golf.com, 41% of the players said yes, they have. Well, I know uh, as a younger man that many uh, high school friends very often would find themselves... On a green somewhere on a deserted golf course late at night with someone special for some very, very unique and intimate time together. This was also an all-encompassing survey of these 52 PGA Tour players. Another quote was, and this is legitimate, there's no innuendo involved in this whatsoever. The most important thing you can do as an amateur golfer is to avoid the sand. Because it's not an easy thing to hit the ball out of. I'm not kidding you. Well, that's, that's, you know, if you're having an amorous encounter, you probably want to avoid the sand as well. I suppose then it does apply both ways. We wanted to talk about Syracuse basketball. Conference play, you normally get through November, December, and the Christmas holiday, and just right around the new year, you get in, well, in this case now, the ACC schedule, formerly the Big East schedule, the meat of your schedule, the tough games, the games you really got to win. But that's not how it is anymore. They've added two games to the ACC schedule, so now there's not 18, there are 20, and it is November 6th that we're looking at in Virginia, the defending national champions. Now, obviously, they've graduated some players to the NBA, your Kyle guys and things like that, but we got a fresh new team here, too, and three juniors are really key. According to Mike Waters, who put a nice article out, Syracuse.com, Gave us eight keys to getting off the bubble and into the NCAA tournament this year. One of them was, yes, relying on those three juniors, Elijah Hughes, Barama Sidibe, and Merrick Dolajai. On a side note, Barama Sidibe is 22 years old today, so happy birthday to him. But they're going to be keys and then working in some of these new guys. And your buddy Beheims, who's a sophomore, and Joe Girard, and Bryson Goodine, and... Uh, there's there's a lot of question marks. Jalen Carey, how is he going to turn out? He'll be a point guard option along with Bryson. But there's a, there's a lot of really great points here. Some are obvious, pretty obvious to to us if we're big time Orange fans and homers like well, at least I am. Well, you need more scoring. Where is the scoring going to come from? Not just from the three point line. That was one of those keys in there, scoop. And it's absolutely right. You've got to be able to to make baskets shoot at a relatively high percentage from anywhere on the court. Buddy Bayheim seems to think this team can shoot. That remains to be seen, but we've seen indications that he's right. In, in one of, in uh, two games ago against Damon, they shot the three ball very well. They struggled a little bit against Carlton Banks, the powerhouse of Canada. 
We need to meet. Maybe we meet somewhere in the middle where just shoot consistently good. You don't have to be great every night, but you can't be bad. One of the things that's also mentioned in this piece is free throws. Yes, always key. And how many times in in all levels of basketball do we see that just bite a team when they just don't make their free throws? I mean, we remember Shaq, you know, how bad he was at it. Well, Syracuse. And the hack-a-shack. You know, teams will take advantage of you, send you to the line if they know you're terrible at making the free throw. They were last in the ACC last year, 68.5%. You got to get that up a few percentage points. Rebounding. It was a rock-bottom year. Another thing brought up in, in the article of the eight keys for getting off the bubble and into the NCAA tournament for the Syracuse basketball team. I think for the pros, around 75% is a good percentage. Yeah, it, it, but the same thing's got to apply here, and they've got to rebound better. They just absolutely have to. So Brahma Sidibe, because Pascal is not on the team anymore, is going to have to step it up. Some of the younger guys that are that are featured. Donna DeTota actually put out a nice feature on the freshman this year, and it's mentioned in there. But that's something that the entire team has to do a better job of. It's just a fact. And we've got to settle on a consistent point guard. Totally agreed. Jalen Carey did well sometimes, but he's got to get better. Beheim said he, he had worked really hard as far as Jalen Carey. He's got to eliminate these mistakes, though, and he's got to start making some shots. That 15-footer, it's pretty good, but it's just got to continue to get better. One of the things that a coach often mentions, too, though, is that there's Growth, you know, I think he alludes to this growth curve. These players, you know, at, at different points of the season, how many times have we heard him say they're not there yet with this aspect of their game or that aspect of their game? And that's what we don't know yet. You know, that is the arc of this season. Where are these freshmen going to wind up in terms of their play at the end of this season? You know, the juniors, what are we going to get? Who's going to be best? At being point guard. And how are all the guys who are tasked with playing that position going to do? That's important. And you want to ramp it up to get to March. You know, I mean, it's like you can stink now, but you can get a whole lot better. And if you get into that tournament, Coach Jim Beheim has proven, you know, you can go a long way. Well, a I lot think a lot further than people expect you to. I think it needs to happen before that. I think you need, as soon as conference play begins. You need to start finding out those things. Well, otherwise you don't get to the, the sure. tournament, you know. But Jim is notorious for the old temper, the expectations thing, and he's going to do that. He always does that. He's always, he'll say, yeah, this was good, but he's going to be critical of something else. He's never satisfied, and I think you have to do that. That's just how he motivates players if you want to get where you want to be, which is the final four and a champion. If you want to become a champion, that's just the way he manages his players and he runs the team. That's just the way Jim Beheim is. He's a teacher. He's teaching these guys the knowledge that he has in his head about the game, and it takes a while for them to get it. Yeah, you did some good things in this game, but it doesn't matter for our next game. You've got to, You've still got to get better, and you still have to believe you can get better. You can't sit here and go, yeah, I'm satisfied with where I am right now. You've got to constantly push yourself Every single day. The 2-3 zone is the key, though. He's going to play 2-3 zone. I know he teases everybody with the man-to-man thing, but that's what's going to happen. And as I believe, uh, what's the the color commentator with the used to be with the Knicks? Who was it? What's his name? Is it Clyde? Clyde Drexler. I co- no, 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 no. Clyde Frazier. Clyde. I completely... Clyde Drexler. Clyde. Yeah. I completely... What do they call that? Uh, brain, you Walt know? Walt Frazier. Yeah. 
Walt Clyde Frazier. Completely, I watch Knicks games all the Best time. Best suits in the world. I want his tailor. Thanks for the rebound and the give and go, but he's the guy that'll call defense Swiss cheese defense. And sometimes that 2-3 zone was a little Swiss cheese like last year, which is delicious cheese, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but we need it to be a thicker, less porous Cheese. I've been watching too many dunk competitions lately. Did I just bring up cheese somehow? Yes. I don't know how I did that. We're going to take a quick break. SU football, actually, with a game against Boston College is where we want to go next on the SportsZilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Lane and Scoop. It's now November 1st. Halloween is over. Do you know what that means? Well, for Mrs. Rain, it's Black Friday shopping, but... It means you can raid the kids' candy that's left over, but you're probably going to get, like, sweet tarts and and pixie sticks, that stupid straw just full of sugar. Like, what is that? It's I also half-off candy day. I could stick my, you know, spoon into, like, some powdered Kool-Aid and drink that. Good Lord. I think yeah, I think there's a lot of people going to go, like, Mrs. Rain will go to Target, a Target run, because it's, like, 90% off, co- or off of uh, candy there. But, no, this is what it means. Halloween is over, which means, America, it's time to start your Christmas shopping. Infuse our stagnant economy with dollars you don't really have. It's it's not even like looking forward to Thanksgiving in three weeks anymore. It, it's automatically we rate oh, the no, Black I'm, Friday and everything else. Like I, I love Christmas, but I am totally all about Thanksgiving. I've spent a couple of them at your fine abode. Yeah. And I am all about the stuffing, the taters with the gravy, Maybe a little sweet potato in there, you know, some green beans yeah, we and hook turkey. It up. We hook it up. We hook up the spread. It's it's not bad. You're invited over this year too, by the way. Blue guy, you want to come over for Thanksgiving? You're gonna have a big spread. I'll be doing my Al Bundy on the couch, my hand tucked in my pants. We'll be watching some bad football. The Lions. I'll be going over to uh, Clyde Drexler's house. You're going to Clyde yeah. Drexler's. I'll be at Clyde Fraser's. Okay. So at least we'll both be at a Clyde's house. Anybody going to Bonnie and Clyde's house? Is that a thing still? I don't know. I don't know. Syracuse football. they're dead. Syracuse football, they are. Uh, Syracuse football is what's really important, though, looking at this Boston College game tomorrow. Guys, what is the expectation? The issue is still the offensive line. Of course, uh, as we reference some of the sports journalists around town, Stephen Bailey with a nice feature on Mr. Kavanaugh, who, of course, is the guy who's been tasked the past couple of seasons with fixing it. But right now, it probably needs more fixing than it did last year. See some different personnel. There's some issues still. It's been the biggest, most overwhelming concern of the season. They gave up a lot of sacks last week. They've been giving up a lot of sacks. Well, okay, more than anybody. But I do think there's improvement. This is a very winnable game they have tomorrow. And I'm going to say SU wins by 10. Think so? Yeah, I think they're mad. Look, they've had to listen to everything that everybody has said and all the disappointment. They're going to rally around the family. And they're going to come out there, I think, with a good effort, probably a better effort than a lot of us expect. And this is a winnable game anyways. And I think they win by 10. Yeah, they they, they kind of need a, a, a game like this to get back on track. I think going out and having a little bit of success, especially offensively, would certainly help them. Uh, I mean, I'd take a win by one, but 
Yeah, I mean, you got grad transfers like Ryan Alexander that year, you know, uh, Mike Cavanaugh's working into the mix this year. You combine that with they're sitting there. And the, he just says bye-bye, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've moved a few different players in and out of the lineup now, but they're all sitting there. You're right, and they hear this, and they hear some of Coach Baber's comments, and they hear the fan base, and they get on social media. Some players try to avoid that stuff. Others, you can't look away, but they hear that, and then they talk. And they're sitting there feeling pretty beat up right now, down in the dumps, not feeling great about themselves. And you know what? If I'm one of them, Scoop, I'm sure you'd feel the same way. I'm a little angry about that. I also think you've got some uh, offensive players at skill positions who are chomping at the bit to show what they got and what they can do. And they haven't necessarily had the opportunity when a quarterback is running for his life or he's getting sacked, you know, and you can't run the ball. So, given an opportunity and maybe a seam, some maybe maybe we can bust a run. Well, Abdul- maybe we can throw a, a few more touchdown passes. Maybe some of that dink and dunk stuff can can bust open for fifteen or twenty yards. I think it's also time for a Dino Baber speech. I want one. Abdul and Mo, though, you know what? They put some yards together and gain a little something something on the ground. And it opened things up for Tommy DeVito to throw the ball around. You know what? At the, at the end, you look back at the stats and the win, and you go, "That's that's a short of pride." That's what an offensive line is looking for. Listen, if our offense collectively produces and performs, it all starts with us, and that's what they need. That in, infuses the confidence in those guys, where then they go out the following week. And they just destroy it for each other. And we've seen evidence where maybe Tommy DeVito was thinking about being hurt and maybe making some decisions that were maybe informed by, I don't want to get killed again, or maybe I'm going to throw the ball away a little early, or I'm going to make a bad decision. He's got to get over that, too. And and if the healthier he gets you think those decisions might also get better. I mean, you hear Stephen Bailey, and you hear Nate Mink, and you hear these guys, and Matt Park, and everybody. There's going to be a lot of pregame on the air on our company's stations, and you're going to get breakdowns of these guys on the offensive line. And I'm just saying they, they've they got the guys, or they've got the guy who can fix this. Believe me. Very interesting that everybody talks about Kavanaugh as a technician. He teaches this great technique. That's right. My point exactly is go read up on him because it'll be covered in all the places that I just talked about. And it's right there in print if you read the article. But look at his background. Dino doesn't let assistants talk to the media, but it's a nice expose. Which I think is an interesting uh, policy. Yeah, but you you really get to know what he's all about and you see his experience and you realize – He's working with what he's got right now, but he'll get him better. I mean, he did coach a team that went ten and two last year, but the fact of the matter is, they said basically ten and three, I think. Yeah, ten and three when it was all said. But here, here's a quote: Dino, what you need to do is hire a line coach that wants to be a line coach. This was June Jones. If you are an NFL fan, you know that name. But these that was some of the advice given to Dino Babers when looking for an offensive line coach. He went on to say. Cav doesn't want your job. He's going to be there as long as you'll be there. So here's a guy who's focused on fixing the offensive line, and he's loyal. They'll get this together. They'll fix this problem. This will not be a long-term issue. Clearly, it will be addressed 
throughout the rest of this season and, of course, looking forward to next season. They're going to do what they need to do to make it better. Build on something for next year. String some wins together, some good performances together, the end of the season to build on next year. That's what everybody wants to do. You don't want to come out of here losing the whole rest of the way out of the season. I just always like to make sure with some of the unfortunate negatives that you do have to discuss, I still want to bleed orange, be a homer, and take a positive spin on this because at the end of it, listen, Dino's a good coach, and we're going to win some more football games, and this program is in a far better place than it's been for a lot of years. The Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. A few things on the NFL next. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Join ESPN Syracuse for a special watch party of the SU Hoops opener versus Virginia Wednesday night. Lawrence Moten, Eric Diemendorf, and Roosevelt Bowie joining Seth Goldberg in our Armory Square studios and reacting live to the action during the game. Watch the show live on twitch.tv slash Talk starting at 845 when Syracuse takes on defending national champs Virginia. Blue guy? Yeah. Can you tell me the two quarterbacks that are both 8-0 this year? Tom Brady, I think. Yeah, your Patriots. Who else? And then there's that guy from San Francisco, used to play for New England. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo. He was the heir apparent, but Tom Brady, well, a little bit like our good friend Jim Beheim, is just going to keep playing and keep coaching, you know, that type of thing. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for a while. So eventually they made the trade. He's out in San Fran, dealt with a knee issue, and now he's back and better than ever, and he's 8-0 as well. Yeah, this is him coming off an ACL injury. Yeah. He had four TD passes last night and a 28-25 win over the Cardinals. He actually threw five touchdown passes. One, Will Rain will talk about. What's that? His uh, Aaron Andrews hit last night. Oh, I see what you're talking about here. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I got to go back because I have two pieces of audio I wanted to share about Jimmy Graham. Uh, see what Matt did? He see, just, see what the glue guy did there? He just trumped me on that all one. All right. This is, uh, all right, we'll go with that one first. This is Jimmy Garoppolo. With Aaron Andrews, by the way, who's on Dancing with the Stars. I'm sorry and embarrassed that I know that. Eight no. How does that feel? Feels great, baby. Uh, Happy Halloween right back at you. Thanks so much. Definitely. No problem. She melted. She melted because he's a good he's he's a good looking guy. She melted. She did, like butter. Like butter, she just melted. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but, you know, he's apparently got some game. Kiara Mia went out for a date with him, you know, and talked glowingly about him being a courteous and a good time for an evening. Would you like to know what the number one song in America was the very last time the 49ers were 8 0? Let's kick it. Wow. No joke. Yeah, that's, that's legitimate right there. Candle. I'm going to get rid of that because that's just terrible. <laughs> to me, that beat is Queen. Uh, no, it's Vanilla Ice, too. It's both. They share it depending on the generation that you grew up in, I suppose. And it's one of those, like, a guilty pleasure thing. Yeah. Like, I hated it when it came out, but now I love seeing it just drive people crazy when they hear it. Like, the disappointment when they think they're hearing Under Pressure with Queen and Bowie, and then they discover it's Vanilla Ice. I love that moment. 
You're going to get the Buffalo Bills on our brother station. They're playing the Redskins. Are the Bills starting to bill? You don't have to answer. I was just putting that out there because, man, everybody is on the wagon as they circle it, thinking, oh, this is it. This is the year finally. They start out pretty good. Actually, you hear a lot about that after 4 o'clock, and I'm not saying anything in a bad way, but Brent Axe, when he's on the block, is a rather substantial Bills fan. He loves the Williams, and there's... There's going to be a bit of talk about that. I don't know what happens. I guess you have to see the result on Sunday. If they lose to Washington, is it panic mode? Yes, absolutely. There's no way they should lose to that team. The Giants, I I don't know what they got against Dallas, though. I mean, that's because Dallas is a different team than they were on opening week based on... They lost to the Jets. You got a chance, dude. Uh, We do. And, I mean, Danny, little Manning... Jones. I don't want to go with the Danny Dimes nickname, but I mean, he did throw four touchdown passes. He builds off that success. Something could happen. Monday night football game. First chance to play Dallas. First game on Monday night football. Going to be motivated. We're past the trade deadline. Everybody's like, okay, I'm going to be here. There's no distractions. It's See, just, I think it's going to be a Saquon Barkley game. Yeah, that would be fine. I don't care how they win the game. I don't care. It's okay. He doesn't have to throw four touchdowns. That's the beauty of it when you have some weapons. Plus, Sterling Shepard is just about in that position where he should be back. So I'll ask, who will have more rushing yards, Zeke or Saquon? Oh, Saquon. I'm saying Saquon. Hopefully, or you think so? I'm going to say I think so. I feel like Saquon hasn't had his signature game yet this year. Monday Night Football against Dallas, after that great performance from Daniel Jones in the last game, this is now his is opportunity. Is it in Dallas or is it uh, New York? You had to ask me that because I don't remember. The schedule is not in front of me, and you would think I would have that committed to memory, being that it's my favorite football team. But you know what I'm going to do, little guy? I'm going to stall just long enough for you to look <laughs> up that information on your phone so that I can distract from the fact that I don't actually know that. What do you got? New York. It is in New York on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think they got a chance. I think the Giants have a chance to win that game. Uh, I I hope so. I hate the little Manning nickname too. That's Especially kinda... with the the billboard stuff and the little Manning floating around the the, the bulletin boards in the uh, the bulletin board stuff in the, the Giants locker room, probably. But little every Manning. everything like water off a duck's back with Eli Manning, and he's compared to him. I mean, they, it was jokes when they drafted him that he basically would play Eli Manning in a movie if they ever made an Eli Manning movie. You're not. He's not going to show motivation by that. The motivation is internal with Eli Manning. It's the same. He's got the same demeanor. He really is an Eli Manning light so far. Yeah, I mean, you don't know how he feels about it. It's frustrating, but yet at the same time, I'm kind of glad he's cool, calm, and collected. On any given Sunday or Monday night or Thursday night or Sunday night. Baker Mayfield (laughs) was trashed on Twitter about not being like a leader and then it was the quarterback for he was compared to hold on Philip Rivers. Yeah, Philip Rivers. Uh the, his OC Ken Wisenhunt on his OC Ken Wisenhunt's firing he said anytime something like that happens as a player you're disappointed that you didn't play better. Baker Mayfield on the Hugh Jackson firing. Well, I didn't lose 30 games be fake and then do that uh take that Cincinnati job and they're trying to say one's a leader, one's immature. Apples and oranges. Yes. Okay. Number 1, Hugh Jackson didn't believe in Baker Mayfield enough. To start him, to, to to give him the reins of the team. So how is Baker going to feel about the guy anyways? And he's, look, he's 24, and he goes off on a reporter uh, and walks off a guy who has done nothing but trash him for two years. For two years. You know, I think he's kind of mature for not punching the guy in the nose.
All right. Giving him a big uh, happy birthday. And I'm, those aren't the two words I'm thinking of. Tell me how you really feel. That's Scoop. I'm Rain. We'll see you Monday at 3 of the Sports Illustrated Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1.